Hello, podcast world. Evangelical Christians had a phrase that we often use when I was young. We would ask the question, are you saved? In our minds, it was the most important question you could ask because we were asking, are you going to heaven when you die? For us, salvation was a very personal thing. It was between me and God. And salvation was very unambiguous. You're either saved or you're not. You're either in or you're out. But I think we actually missed the point. Welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. For most of my life, the lens through which I saw pretty much everything was very personal. So like I said in the intro, salvation was a very personal thing. We would often speak about our personal relationship with God. But I'm not sure that's just an evangelical thing or even a Christian thing. I actually think it might be a Western white thing. Of course, I'm making a very sweeping and broad statement, I know, but just give me a minute to defend my thinking. There's a word in the English language that has only been around since the early 1900s. So we're talking like pretty much in my lifetime. It's a word that has gained a lot of popularity in the past 10 years or so. It's the word systemic. It's used in medical terms as a condition that affects the whole body and not just like one part of the body. So like high blood pressure, for example, would be considered systemic. In general terms, it's used as an adjective and it means a policy, practice, or set of beliefs that have been established as normative or customary throughout a political, social, or economic system. So these days we hear a lot about systemic poverty, for example. It's about policies or practices that are seen as normal, but that system actually keeps certain people in poverty. Those systems might have to do with education, or equal pay, or discrimination in hiring, or any of a number of things, but the system feeds the problem of poverty. Or sometimes we speak of systemic racism. That's the fact that within our systems of government, or religion, or just in society in general, there are beliefs and norms and ideologies that sustain the practice of racial injustice in our society. We could talk about systemic sexism or ageism or many other things, but I'm trying to get through my intro here to talk about salvation, so let me move on and get to the point. Very broadly speaking, we Western white people don't like the idea of systemic anything. We push back against the idea of systemic racism, for example. And we would say that a system can't be racist, only individuals can be racist. 
or we hear people say that poverty is not the problem of a system. Poverty is because people don't want to work. They just want handouts from the government. The reason that I say, and again in very broad terms, that it's a Western white thing is because I usually only see white people pushing back on the idea of systemic issues. And it seems they always want to frame everything as an individual's problem. So we say things like, guns don't kill people, people kill people. In other words, it's not a systemic problem with gun control, it's an individual's problem. And I believe that over the years, that mindset has found its way into evangelicalism. And so the, th the lens through which we see all doctrine and all theology is personal. It's why when I first began to see salvation as more than personal, it took me a while to come to terms with. In the last episode, we began to talk about seeing salvation through a wider lens. The, the personal lens through which many of us have seen salvation is that it's all about the afterlife. Salvation is about going to heaven when you die, or it's about choosing between heaven and hell. So he spoke about the fact that in the Bible, salvation is rarely, if ever, about the afterlife. We looked at different themes in the Bible to divine what salvation is. In the Old Testament, we saw salvation as being freedom from bondage, freedom from exile, and rescue from peril. In the New Testament, we saw that salvation was about transformation in the here and now, not in the afterlife. So in that episode, I defined salvation like this. Salvation is the process of transformation both of ourselves and of our world. Today, I want to talk about the our world part of that definition. Because to see salvation in the way that the Bible speaks about it, we can't just see it as personal. We need salvation or transformation in our world, in our systems, if you will. We need salvation in our government systems, in our educational systems, in our religious systems, in our economic system, in, in our business systems. We need transformation of our systems. In Judaism, the idea of salvation, as well as sin and forgiveness, were seen very much in terms of social structures. The great exodus that we spoke of last week was the freedom of a group, not the freedom of a bunch of individuals. In Scripture, we see salvation in a number of ways when it comes to our world. We see salvation in terms of moving from systemic injustice to justice. The prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos, as well as others, wrote extensively on this subject. And in the Bible, justice and injustice is usually about economics. 
justice was realized when everybody had enough. Of course, you remember the story in the Bible of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, as the Sunday school song says. He might have been short, but he was rich and he was powerful. But as a tax collector, his riches came at the expense of keeping others poor. Now understand, he was just working the system. It was a system that was set up by Rome, i.e. the government of the day. And so he was just working the system and the system was working in his favor. So now he meets Jesus. He comes out of the meeting and he starts to give away all of his money. He says he's going to give half of it to the poor and with the rest he's going to pay back everybody that he's ever defrauded times four. And so what is Jesus' response? He says, today salvation has come to this house. Remember the whole Pentecost thing in Acts chapter 2? There was this big public display of the power of the Spirit. And then what's the first thing that the people start doing? They begin to share everything that they had. In fact, they just gave it all to the disciples to start distributing so that everybody had enough. They changed the system. We live in a world where there is enough. Poverty is a thing because there are systems that keep people in poverty. It's not because they are lazy. And those of us that are part of the privileged group, usually white Western people, which makes me one of them, we don't want to change the systems because we benefit from them. Certainly our educational systems don't help the poverty crisis in our world. The bottom line is that it costs good money for a good education. And if you're a parent, probably just about anywhere in the world, I don't have to tell you that. Good education leads to good jobs that move people out of poverty. But if you start with a subpar education, the road out of poverty is incredibly difficult. But if you're poor, you can't afford a good education. And the circle of poverty continues. Our business structures in the world are a mess. CEOs and top executives are making millions on the backs of people barely making a living wage. Our systems keep a certain group of people living below the poverty line without an easy road out. And let's talk for a minute about racial injustice. I believe that salvation speaks to racial injustice in the world. Now, I'm not speaking about racism here. I'm speaking about systemic injustice. Racism is about the individual and how I see and treat people of another race. 
institutional or systemic racism is about things that are built into the system that discriminates against people of a particular race or cultural group. It's pretty easy to see when you look at the apartheid laws pre-1994 in South Africa or the Jim Crow laws in the late 1800s through much of the 1900s. In both of those situations, people of color were limited on where they could live or work or go to school or even freaking use the bathroom. Thankfully now, many of those laws have been done away with, and yet there are still many institutional practices that keep people of color from advancing in our world. A few months ago, Sheila and I visited Selma, Alabama. It's been a bucket list thing of mine for a really long time. We walked across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. It's the location of what we now call Bloody Sunday. The black population in America had been given the right to vote when the 15th Amendment was passed in 1870. So some of the southern states put local laws into place to make it difficult, if not impossible, for black people to vote. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was leading a group of people on a march from Selma across the, the Edmund Pettus Bridge to the Capitol building in Birmingham, about 50 miles away, in protesting these laws. But now here in America, new voter restriction laws are being put into place in like 32 different states right now. And many of those laws will make it more difficult for people in minority and marginalized communities to vote. That's called systemic racial injustice. In South Africa, Institutional racial injustice is alive and well in numerous areas. Higher education, business, healthcare, housing, just to name a few. According to the World Bank and just about every other study I've ever seen, South Africa has the highest income inequality in the entire world and the majority of the wealth in South Africa is controlled by white people. These are all systemic problems, institutional problems. Salvation is about the transformation of the systems of injustice. In his book, Speaking Christian, Marcus Borg suggests that salvation also includes moving from violence to peace. A world is addicted to violence and revenge. We see it in movies, in video games, in our TV shows, and so unsurprisingly in our societies. The United States spends something like seven or $800 billion a year on its defense budget. But here's the mindset that you find all across the world. If you attack me, I'll attack you and your whole family. 
because violence just sustains more violence. But don't think for a minute that this is a new problem. The prophet Micah longed for a day when war would be no more. Here's what we read in Micah chapter 4. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of the host has spoken. In First Chronicles, there's a really interesting statement that's often overlooked. God didn't allow David to build the temple because he had spilled too much blood on the earth. Maybe all that bloodshed and war wasn't God's idea at all like David thought it was. When Jesus was born, he was called the Prince of Peace by the angels. And they were quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He said, turn the other cheek. He wept over Jerusalem saying, if you had just recognized the things that bring peace. The Bible doesn't just speak about peace in terms of personal peace. It speaks of peace as the end of violence and war. According to the Council on Foreign Relations Global Conflict Tracker, there are 27 ongoing conflicts worldwide right now. But there's violence going on all around us. My South African friends know all too well the reality of being robbed at gunpoint or having an intruder in your home while you sleep or being carjacked. It's like an everyday occurrence. We hear about it all the time. Here in the USA, there are mass shootings pretty much every day. A few months ago, a woman entered a small Christian school here in Nashville and killed three students and three teachers. My granddaughter's school is just a few miles away and they were in lockdown as soon as they got the news. Five-year-old children should not have to be taught to hide under their desks in case a bad person comes in with a gun. Right now in America, the number one cause of death of children is guns. And yet, we refuse to change the system. We refuse to do anything about it other than to suggest we need more guns. We already have more guns than any freaking nation on earth, but more guns seems to be needed. It's absolutely crazy. It's a systemic problem in need of salvation. 
There is so much more I could talk about. But here's the question I want, I want to ask. If salvation includes the transformation of our world, how does that come about? There was a day when I would have answered that question something like this. Well, the first thing we have to do is pray. Prayer is always the first thing on the list whenever we speak about any problem in the world. And I've come to believe that our speaking about prayer in these situations is just a cop-out more often than not. I remember a church service I was in quite a few years ago now. The worship leader just started to extemporaneously sing something like, God, we are waiting for you. And they sang those words over and over and over for what felt like, I don't know, 45 minutes. I remember thinking, uh, maybe God is actually waiting for us. When we pray to God to end racism, or hatred, or violence in our world, maybe God is saying, what the heck do you think I put you here for? My friends, we need to stop praying and start doing something. Okay, before I freak you out too bad, let me say that I do pray. Sometimes there's nothing you can do but pray. When that, when that shooting happened in Nashville, Sheila and I were in New Mexico. It would have taken us about three or four days to drive back to Nashville. There was nothing to do but pray. So I, I get that. But the transformation of our world will not come about just because we are praying. So what do we do? How, how do we bring about transformation of our world? Okay, you're probably going to roll your eyes at my simplistic answer to that question, but, but I really believe this to be true. We love. We love instead of hate. Jesus said that the world should be able to identify us as Christians because of our love. But I think that right now the world identifies Christians by their hatred. At least I think that's true here in America. Hatred of Black Lives Matter, hatred of Muslims, hatred of the liberals, hatred of the LGBTQIA community, and on and on and on. Okay, nobody speaks about hate. Nobody uses that word. But our actions give ourselves away. As I release this podcast, it's Pride Month. And of course, there are lots of social media posts in support of the LGBTQIA community, as there should be, in my opinion. I totally get that some Christians might disagree, but the hatred that I see in response to Pride Month is absolutely shocking. There's this big move now to take back the rainbow from the gay community. Have you seen that? 
They say the rainbow belongs to Christians because the rainbow was in the sky right after the great flood. It's ours and you can't have it. We're going to take it back. Really? you got to be kidding me. And the hatred towards the trans community, especially trans kids, is absolutely making me crazy. Can you imagine how difficult it must be being a 13-year-old kid born with male sex organs, but everything inside of you tells you that you are a girl? And Christians can't find empathy for that young person? Instead, they just make jokes and they call it sin. All the while, the young child is crying themselves to sleep every night, feeling abandoned and alone. I hate to say this, but I'm afraid we live in an age where they know we are Christians by our hatred. And that makes me incredibly sad. But I know that those of you that listen to my podcast, you're not in that group. You're not spewing hatred on social media or in the press. But you and I need to be loud with our love. Love is stronger than hate if love is louder than hate. What can we do for the gay couple down the street so that they know that we love them? Or the Muslim that works with us and feels rejected by Christians? Or the Asian girl that has felt so much hatred in recent years? How can we stand up to hate by being louder with our love? Jesus modeled it for us. He had meals with people that were considered sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes, people that were marginalized by the religious community, and he was criticized for it. He was accused of condoning their behavior by having a meal with them. Jesus loved loud and he calls us to love loud. Loving loud means that we stand up with and for the marginalized. We make our voices heard against institutional injustice. We march if necessary. We protest if necessary. When Sheila and I walked over the Edmund Pettus Bridge, we walked over the crest, and, and, and then you see the other side of the river. And I was imagining what it must have been for Dr. King and those 600 people to come over the crest of that bridge and see police and dogs and KKK with guns and clubs. But they walked against systemic racial injustice. And that is what loving loud looks like. Salvation is not about going to heaven when you die, nor is it about trying to earn anything. 
It's not about trying to be good enough in order to gain God's favor. You already have God's favor. You have always had God's favor. Salvation is about peeling back the layers of my false self in order to find my true self. It's about loving loud in my world. Salvation is a process of transformation of myself and of my world. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote, Work on your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. There's so much more I could talk about, like white supremacy or Christian nationalism or book banning or diversity, equity, and inclusion training or wokeism. But I would just say this for now. Love loud. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those links are in the show notes and on my webpage. Also, there is a Patreon page that works anywhere in the world. If you would like to help support this effort, I would really appreciate it. So until next time, Shalom.